and welcome to today's podcast where I'm joined by Mr. Ronnie Teja. Um, so Ronnie is a, the, the, the founder of Brandzio.com, which is an e-commerce watch brand, very successful and everything else. But Ronnie is a guy I actually met out in Chiang Mai um, several years ago. Um, having Well, Ronnie wasn't actually drinking. He was always on the water doing the smart thing. And uh, <laughs> everyone, everyone else was having beers. But obviously we met out in Chiang Mai. And uh, obviously people that go to Chiang Mai typically are relatively successful people. I think that's where the, the 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 smart guys in the world go and you know network and have fun and and you know learn from that conference. Um, and that's where I bumped into you. But where, where are you based just now, Ronnie, for anyone listening? Yeah, so right now uh, I'm based in Bangkok at the moment. Uh, I'm an adult immigrant to Canada, so I moved moved from uh, Mumbai to Canada when I was about nineteen years old. So my home base is in Vancouver, Vancouver, BC. And then, you know, I spend uh, half the year here in Bangkok and Thailand and then half the year back home in Vancouver. Nice. And uh, so Brandzio.com is the, the flagship website that we're going to be talking about. Now, today's podcast, we're going to be digging deeper into e-commerce. Obviously, you've been very successful with e-commerce and uh, Brandzio.com is the flagship site um, and probably your you know, your favorite or whatever, you know, bean watches and, and all that kind of stuff. So how how old is Brandzio.com first of all? Well, as of last month that we turned about we completed about six years. So an e-commerce an e-commerce and e-commerce world on the DTC world, that's pretty old. <laughs> um six years. Now obviously um you know when you're getting into e-commerce, um, you know, it's it's relatively, you know, you need to you need a product to sell why watches what made you go for watches because that has got to be super competitive search term wise surely yeah it is it is quite it is quite competitive in general so so my background actually is in uh is in ppc so pay, 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 paid per click advertising so so before i started my own business i was working in uh, ppc ads and in, in australia i used to work for best buy i used to work for hsbc and you know uh, and then after a while i said look i i you know i'm, I'm kind of done making other people money because at, at some point in time you look at the analytics and you're like you know so-and-so company made you know 150 million dollars in one day it's like holy hell i'm the guy who's driving all the traffic and you know what am i you know am i getting any bonuses out of it or not i'm getting a measly salary of like you know 60 dollars and they expect me to be happy with that and i said wait a second you know why don't we take a chance on ourselves so about eight or nine years ago i had the opportunity like roughly for a short stint to work for a company called movement watches and they actually they they made it big on the D2C brand scale. So I think I believe they they sold for about two hundred million dollars or something. Ooh. So I, yeah, so I got really lucky in the sense that I got to understand the market and how exactly the the watch market operates and everything else, which was really big for me back in the day. So uh, I said, look, if it comes to ads and if it comes to uh, putting money into a product like like watches, maybe I have some sort of a background in it and I'll be able to excel at it. And you know, the earlier I, the sooner I do it, the better than that uh, than, than it is. So, so I said, look, let's just try watches. I mean, in terms of organic search and everything else, and in terms of you know image search, uh, I believe that uh, movement actually excelled really well. So, whenever you Google like you know uh, black and tan watches, NATO strap watches, etc., they actually got a lot of uh, even on Pinterest boards, they actually were able to to scale highly because of that from the organic reach. But in, when it comes to even PPC or influencers, they were the first guys to actually jump onto Instagram. 
So, you know, influencer marketing and everything else. And they they, they grew to like, I think, uh, 1.2 or 1.3 million followers pretty quickly on Instagram as well. So they were, they were able to, they were, they were able to catch the hype before it became big. It's similar to like people who invested in TikTok, say one year ago, and now they've actually grown up to be like massive brands. I have a friend who who sells shoes in Vancouver, a uh, company called Vessi, Vessi Shoes. Uh, and they actually, there's a, there's a case study about them out there where they stopped all advertising for the brand. And they only run TikTok, only TikTok organic, and they are still, the, the demand for the shoes is outpacing the supply of how much they can provide. Jeez. Um... Yeah, I've been massively trying TikTok, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not getting that kind of traction. Definitely not. Um, so it just shows you, you know, what what can happen. But going back to when you started, obviously you've got that background and everything else, and you've left your job. You've seen people making lots of money. Surely you didn't start out with millions of pounds to start with your e-commerce website. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't know anything about watches, to be honest. I didn't even know how to source watches. I was looking on Alibaba. I was trying to talk to people on WeChat. I was trying to like source it out and be like, hey, can you make me a watch? The the thought process of like making a watch straight from the mold is like it costs you 500 US dollars to make like one watch. And you're like, holy hell, what am I doing here? And then, you know, six months into the journey, what I found out was the same watch, the same designs that we'd come up with. There's somebody in Vancouver whom I'd never met before, didn't know who they were. And they'd launched a Kickstarter of a watch company that they looked exactly like our watches and they had the same logo, they had the same everything. So imagine, you know, I'm sitting there going like six months of my work has all gone down the drain and I'm like, you know, I'm in the, you know, it, it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty gut-wrecking feeling that you get out of it. So, you know, at that point in time, I only probably had $5,000 left in my bank account and I said, look, there's one thing I can do right now. And somebody told me about Hong Kong because the world's largest watch fair happens in Hong Kong. So, you know, Vancouver to Hong Kong, the flight's about $800, so super cheap uh, return, by the way. So, you know, flew from Vancouver to Hong Kong, went to this watch fair, met up at three or four factories, and one of them decided to take a gamble on me, right? And when I say a gamble, they said, look, we'll give you, we'll extend your line of credit only on the first collection. So that's about $30,000 in which they gave me a credit term for saying you can pay it off in three months. Yeah. And based on that, whatever money I had left, I started putting all into ads, and, you know, we started, we started, we started spinning the flywheel. Right, the flywheel approach is a it's a it's a very famous term that was actually coined by this writer who 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 consulted with Amazon on how back in 1999 when Amazon started picking up a lot of traction. So it's basically about how you drive traffic and how these visitors are going to come and tell their if, if if your brand experience is valuable and if your brand experience is what you implant to deliver to your customers, all of a sudden it's going to lead to sales, more sales. And then of course, you know, it's just like a flywheel. It just keeps turning and turning. What is the customer experience like? What is the product like? All that stuff. So, you know, the basic is, is all about getting as much traffic to your website as possible. So that actually worked out for me at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, obviously you've got that, you've met, been lucky enough to meet that guy or, or person that gave you the 30,000 uh, 30, pound credit. What type of website did you have? What was it? Some shitty WordPress website with WooCommerce plugged in, or, or what? What was the initial website set up like? Yeah. So when I first started out, actually, I I started on a Magento website, and Magento is it's, it's sort of similar to uh, WooCommerce WordPress, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but but Magento is more uh, development heavy. So that was so that was one of the issues that I faced as well because you know where do I find the right developers? I tried to go on Upwork and find developers. There was somebody who blackmailed me and my in my website and they tried to take take me for like you know five thousand dollars because I you know they were like you know 
if you don't pay me the money, then I'm going to take your website and run away with it. So that was another pain in the ass. Uh, but luckily, you know, there was Shopify, a good Canadian company, and, and I gave them a shot. And I, you know, back then, Shopify, six years ago, Shopify was still sort of in its nascent stages, and I wasn't too sure if I should test them out or not. But I actually built the whole website myself on the back end of Shopify, which is quite easy. So the back end, so your website, is the full website in Shopify, or is it just the... Everything is on Shopify. Everything, Everything is on Shopify. Shopify. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously you've done all of that. You've got your Shopify. Um, I'm assuming at this point, it, the, the pay-per-click is probably one of the first things you do just to get the, the turnover going. Would that be right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Facebook ads and Instagram ads had just come out. So, I mean, if you were happy to jump on the bandwagon six, seven years ago, I mean, you would have seen a rass of every dollar you spent, you know, you could have, uh, you could have, I mean, here's an example that I would give you. Back in 2006, my CPA for some of our watches was between eight dollars and twelve dollars right now the same the same cp is about thirty dollars to forty dollars so it's grown by like three to four times basically so you know it's uh i mean it was it was people were still trying to get into it so i mean i kind of got lucky that i was ahead of that ahead of that curve same with like snap ads same with you know tiktok ads all that kind of stuff so i think there is there is there is a case to be made about testing out all platforms i mean even the guys who started movement they say they take it I mean, if you have an e-commerce store, take 20% of whatever your paid budget is and put that 20% into like a test market. Could be for influencers, could be for podcast advertising, could be for anything else. I think that's a good way to like test it out. Same with SEO, right? I mean, it's like, I'm sure SEOs have strategies that they try and use. Could be for image search, could be for YouTube, could be for anything else. We're trying and trying all these different techniques to say, look, maybe this requires some attention on my part. Yeah. Yeah. But surely, you know, if you are, you know, your back's against the wall, um, you've got this Shopify website, your guy's giving you 30 grand and you've got to pay it in three months. Yeah. What? How much money did you throw into pay-per-click? Was it like five grand? And I'd be curious to know, the, I don't want to know the exact figures, but you mentioned- oh, I can tell you the exact figures. I don't need to hide it. But I mean, it was everything I had, every coin penny I had. I had my, my money, uh, like my savings. So I had $5,000 in cash. Then I went back to my savings. I wasn't an active saver. Probably had another five thousand dollars lying there. So I had a total of ten thousand dollars. So I put everything I had into the, <laughs> into this. So if I if I would have gone, I would have gone tits up. So essentially, I would have not. You know, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. I would have had a job going back to Best Buy and being a media buyer for them. But I said, but you know, knock on wood, uh, the positioning, the images, everything else worked out for us, and we were using user generated content uh as testimonials and they were actually working out for us for, uh with the people so you know we were able to hit our audience target and and luckily you know knock on wood facebook advertising was still in its nascent stage which was you know the cpms were quite low and so were the cost per clicks so we were able to hit a we were able to accelerate our growth as quickly as possible so every point i mean couple that with hard work right i mean i believe i used to sleep in the morning at so i was customer service i was the ads guy i was the guys doing the shipping i was everything so you know, if you called, if you ever called me and my name was John and I had a really shitty accent, like I used to put on a Canadian accent. And then in the evening, I used to be Chad, you know, I used to be Chad. Chad used to be on the phone and stuff. So I used to have all these like different personalities uh, for email and for customer support. And, you know, uh, I probably was sleeping maybe like three, four hours a, uh, a night, at least for the for the first for the first 45 days. And yeah. after 45 days, yeah, after I think a month and a half, uh, you know, when I first saw, okay, there's a profit, you know, you have money coming in, you know, the business is self-sustaining. You need to order the next collection. You know, I, I reached out to the guys back in China and I said, look, I'm, you know, here's, here's half the money I owe you within the first 30 days. And they were very happy. So they said, 
tell us when you want to order the second collection we'll get it done for you immediately so you know so then it's the flywheel effect again you know you, 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 you people are taking notice of your brand they're having a good customer experience and you know one of the things that i was lucky enough is you know reading that sort of amazon mentality which is basically you know your customer is always going to come first i mean to this day i mean i was having an exec team meeting before this you know we 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 proactively refund every month about 60 to 70000 dollars of business back to the customers because if the customer seems unhappy they ever say anything about hey i'm not happy with this we understand that and maybe the people don't make impulse purchases we don't want to be in a situation where a person buys something from us and they're not happy with it we have to give that money back you know i mean a part of me of course dies a little bit on the inside but in the long run we think, of course man <laughs> but the thing is in the long run what we do understand is is that this person is going to go tell 10 15 20 30 40 people of friends about us right yeah. i mean i was lucky that we we have customers who have their best mates wedding or they go for a stag party or they go for a or girls who go for a hens hens do or when they're getting married people order custom watches from us you know they want something engraved for the wedding you know uh, james marries julia you know xyz date and all that and we and we send them to embossed boxes that that come to them so that's worked out for us in the long run yeah uh, interesting. So obviously you 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 hit the ground running relatively well, um, able to order your second collection. What are, the final question I want to ask on that particular topic is: Was the first six months or a year basically just getting money, reinvesting in new watches? Was was that the situation? Um, you know, everything you got in was just reinvested in new stock. Is that how it worked? How you know how long was it before? you actually were able to take a wage out of that company? Well, yeah. I mean, I moved into my parents' basement, first of all. Uh, so I was lucky, you know, uh, that I had the support of my parents. So, of course, food was free, living was free. And, uh, you know, my mom had to come and tell me to take a shower quite often because, uh, you know, I forgot there were days I didn't shower at all. <laughs> but, you know, about, over about, I think the first time I actually took money out of the company was after four months. And that was nice. Yeah, and then I got to take my parents out for like a nice brunch and stuff, and it was it was good, man. I mean, there were times, you know, my parents never asked me for any money back, uh, and you know, it's all the credit to them. And you know, uh, I think anybody who listens to the podcast or anything else, I mean, your your parents are like your parents or your friends or your family, whoever you have, you must have somebody to trust on. So whenever you take a chance on yourself, they'll always be there for you. And you know, at the time, you might have a different uh, way of looking at it in the sense that oh you know, uh, maybe not supporting me enough. They don't know what I'm going through. But, you know, six years down the line, I appreciate, you know, when I'm having this conversation, I appreciate everything that they've done for me and what they went through for, for, for my sake. Yeah. No, I think you've uh, you, you've been lucky to have that. Not everyone's lucky enough to have parents that, that do that. I've been lucky enough to have supportive parents. But, yeah, it's uh, it's nice and comforting to, to be able to do that and come out the other end smiling. But obviously you've done all of that. You said you were Chad, you were John, you were everyone in the business. Now there comes a point where you have to delegate work out, whether that's development, product adding, blog posts, whatever you're doing. Um, did you ever, because I know it's six years down the line, was it always outsourced employees or did you ever have a team where you were located just out of curiosity ahead of me in, in the in the entrepreneur game and he he told me about that he'd hired a big team in the philippines so he was actually happy to refer a couple of people my way 
So we actually started that way. So we were just looking for customer service. I was like, man, if I can just get customer service dealt with, I'd be more than happy to get, you know, focus on the business and, you know, the ads and everything else. So the first thing I outsourced was customer service, right? So uh, got a couple of VAs, uh, didn't know how the whole VA game worked, to be honest. I mean, I uh, I had to get used to the fact that, I mean, just between, you know, me and me and the people who are listening to this is, you know, people would be saying, you know, oh, my uncle died. And then the next thing I know, on Facebook, there's pictures of them partying at a nightclub the night after. So I was getting used to all these things, you know, which is kind of weird. Um, I mean, it's a culturally like it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an eye-opening experience, basically. Uh, but you know, you, you, where we are now after trial and error, I can tell you. So we've got about 35 employees. What what we did essentially was we decided not to actually focus on one center and have every everybody you hear in SEO, everybody who's starting an e-commerce business, people say, where do I go? India, Philippines, wherever it's cheap. I think that's not the right idea. I think you, you should be able to uh, disperse your team because we're truly like a global company. We sell in about 77 countries. So we said, is there a possibility to actually have people in Latin America and South America who can who can service the US time zone? Can we have people in Bosnia, Serbia, Croatia, and all these areas to service our European customers? And can we have people in the Philippines and India to service our Australian and you know the Australian and the Asian market? So that has worked out for us in the long run. And in terms of like other stuff, when you're talking about like designers, we were to find them on Behance, we were able to find them on Dribble because people, a lot of designers showcase their work there. That was another way of doing it. Uh, I was, I mean, I was lucky to implement something because we grew to a certain size, and you know, I hope everybody grows to the, you know, uh, a big size. Uh, there's a there's a system out there called the EOS system, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which I highly, highly recommend because once we implemented this, and I've, I'm pretty new to it, it's only a year and a half old. What happened for me was a, a very cultural shift, a cultural shift in the sense that I'm not always working in my business. And what that means is I'm not always doing the day-to-day -day things in my business. I actually have enough free time to focus on working on my business. How can we get our, you know, our watches into shelves in South Africa? How can we get our watches into shelves in Taiwan? How, who do I need to contact? What sort of retail conferences do I need to be at to get people from Walmart or Target to get a, get a watch showcased in the stores? Mm -hmm. So these are the different things that happen when I implement the US system as well. So which I highly recommend. I mean, if you have a team of about 15 to 20 people, you should be looking at that. Yeah, because I think that's where I've fell down in the past um, is not having systems and, and stuff like that in place. And it was just, I, I felt as if I was working in the business and not on the business, you know, and, and it wasn't watches. That was building an agency. Um, and when I was building an agency, outsourcing and everything wasn't really a big thing but i think you've obviously been fortunate enough to to outsource a lot of that stuff and probably learn a lot quicker where i stupidly had this thing in my head hire all local guys and have the big fancy office and and you know people it's the same kind of problem people would come in and say yeah my uncle's dead my grand's dead and you know they would use these excuses time and time again and um, to the point where it got very frustrating uh, but obviously you've been able to master outsourcing you, you've got your system in place and you're able to free up that valuable time to to work on the business but Obviously, if you're anything like me, I always found it very, very hard to let go. Obviously, that's your brand and you're sitting there going, this is my brand, uh, it's my business, I can't let go. You know, some people struggle to let go and outsource and just rely on other people. So I'd be curious to know, like, do you have middle management or is it just loads of different staff like who manages the staff in a day-to-day -day yeah now i'm middle management like what are you saying man is it, it kind of makes complete sense so uh i mean think of it this way it's a part of a human growth 
right? It's like you start you start in the business by yourself, uh, and then you're like you say, okay, I can do everything, right? And then you say, okay, I've got two employees. I can still do everything, no problems. But then your team grows to like six people. And you're like, wait a second, you know, if there's all customer service and they're coming at you left, right, and center at all points of time in the day, boss, how do I do this? Guys, how do I do this? Guys, how do I do this? It's like, when am I going to complete my work and not being able to do it? So that's when you say, look, maybe I need somebody in the middle who 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 is a conduit, right? Who has some sort of like a middle person who can actually like solve all these small issues that I need not don't need to be focusing on. Of course, there's a part about keeping your brand identity alive, right? I understand that. But that's that's the part where you have to train people. And some people uh, some people go, I can do everything myself, and that's all the power to them if they can do it. But some people say, okay, wait, I'm, I might be a better delegator than I'm actually a manager. And and all these things happen. I mean, the long term, what you want to do is, I mean, it's a part of your system of growth as an entrepreneur as well, right? Where you're saying, look, I can grow to the next level if I learn how to delegate. And it's extremely hard. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like letting go of your baby, right? It's like, how do I do this? So, you know, it's, it's, it helps to have some external help. Uh, for me, the external help comes from having a consultant uh, who actually are hired, and you know we pay them thousand, two thousand pounds a month or something, and and they come and they handle the whole process for us. And once they do that, and everything's in place, we have a middle management. We have people, uh, you know, who how to manage employees. We have goals in place. We have bonuses in place. We have everything in place. So employees overall, uh, it's 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 an extremely happy experience for them overall. That's right? what I also touch on was. How do you motivate and keep the staff staff happy? Is it bonus related or do you give them a share in the business? Because that's always a, a thing as these guys go on and work for you for a couple of years. Yep. What do you keep them there rather than maybe being like you and leaving a business to go and start up on your own? You know, so I was curious to know, is it all money incentives related to keep them happy? I, I actually don't agree with that. I mean, it doesn't always have to be money. I mean, we do have bonus cash rated bonus incentives every quarter. So it's based on the quarterly performance of the company, which I think is quite important for everybody. Uh, on top of it, what we do is for every person out there, they get a yearly IT budget. So $500 they get to spend on upgrading the computers, upgrading any IT related things, headsets, whatever they want, right? Plus we have the $250 a year that we that is for the learning and self-development budget. Mm -hmm. So if you find any course that you want to do and you find it really interesting, you know, you spend it the way you want to. I'm not going to question it. We we'll we'll just have like a like a like a Coursera or something, which is where everything is centralized, so that if you want to do it, then you can just do it on there, and then we can all share all share on it, right? Yeah. So that way, I think it makes a lot of sense to do so. Interesting, interesting. Uh, now, obviously, you've got all of the setup done. You you've implemented your um, paid. You know, you're investing all your money into paid advertising. Um, when for someone like you starting off with a relatively small budget um, and doing everything yourself, when, if someone else is following your type of process or in similar shoes, does the organic search become important? Um, you know, when did you start thinking, right, I'm spending money and I'm spending X amount of money and I'm getting in this amount of money from paid. When does SEO kick into your e-commerce well, yeah, for, for me, SEO was quite late. I'm mean, until the time I'd come to Chiang Mai, right? And I met all the all you guys, which were who were, were extremely knowledgeable about it. I didn't even know much about it. So, like, for example, some of my takeaways for e-commerce related queries were like, you know, taking snippets, for example, right? Which was basically like saying, how can we focus on taking so for example, you know, what is the best watch, watch reviews, uh, you know, what what are the common questions that people ask about watches? So we've been working on an SEO strategy, and that's actually starting to pay off for us now. But the problem with SEO, like I'm 
I'm sure like everybody knows this. And it's like, it's not an overnight switch that you just flip and you expect things to flow in. Whereas paid, you can just turn the taps on and you know, it's a, it's a tap on, see how much money you can spend, taps off, see how much sales go down, right? But the SEO part is a good backup to have. I mean, we are so controlled by all the platform this day, this day and age, especially at this very moment as I speak about it with Google and Facebook and Amazon and everything else uh, that, you know, it's it, it's it's a bit of it causes a bit of friction in terms of you know uh, how much competition you have on the paid side. So I mean every Tom Dick and Harry who's who's coming to start an e-commerce business and watches today, I see them bidding at like you know fifty dollars CPAs or something. So that automatically raises our CPAs, although we are a brand, right? So that so you have to think about uh, you have to think a little bit outside the box. Thinking outside the box for us was influencers uh, using uh, you know uh, being on social social platforms organically. I mean then the sh- social platforms cut off all the organic reach. Then we had to move to something else. So we have to be pretty crafty in the ways of how we're actually re- reaching our customers. And like, even for like, uh, you know, when I talk about organic, I mean, people people should be looking into YouTube. People need to be looking into, you know, image search. They are the little little things, especially where, pe- where people are not looking into. I mean, if you rank on image search now, I mean, that becomes a part of shopping, Google yeah. Shopping. So it's basically getting free shop free shopping clicks on image search, which is phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's it's the even when I'm trying out TikTok and stuff, it's just trying to get traffic from as many of those different sources as you possibly can. Some will work, some won't. Um, but you also went on to say that you sell watches in 77 different countries. Um, so for an e-commerce guy out there and he's starting out in America and, and so on, um, you know, how did you do that? What did you launch? A whole bunch of Brazil dot you know de for Germany and so on, or did you? No, I didn't. I just went to com, just dot com. Just keep, just keep it simple. Um, and is it like Google translated, or is it yes. all English, all, all translated over? Um, uh, it's mostly translated. We use Google Translate, but it's not really the most effective one. So we have usually usually have a consultant who comes in and says, you know. These are the things you need to improve. So when it's geolocated, geotargeted, then they can actually just change it. I mean, look, if you want to start out today, remember this: the basic, the basic country you need to hit. And even the Tan Brothers were pretty big in the e-commerce space, dropshipping. They do about 180 to 100 million dollars in dropshipping products a year, according to them. Uh, the basis is that they have only focused on the U.S. Work yeah. on winning the American market. That's where the money is. Once you won the American market, that's where you go everywhere else. For us, it was the other way around. The American market was pretty cluttered, so we went to the other countries which are not as cluttered, cluttered to see where we could get cheaper CPAs and be able to ship worldwide. Yeah, well, that that was going to be my next question: was if someone's on a low budget and they're looking to explore other countries, obviously there's a whole bunch of countries out there. What countries did you find worked very well for you? Not America, not the UK, obviously. Yeah. They- competitive Canada, but- Canada Australia yeah, yeah I mean I would say like look look at countries like South Africa I mean where e-commerce is going to boom right Africa is like where e-commerce is almost in its nascent stages you've got Jumia which is like the Amazon of Kenya that's a big one you've got Nigeria Nigeria is going to outpace the US to be the largest English-speaking country in the world I mean and that's crazy I mean it's supposed to hit about 500 million people in the next seven years I believe so yeah, so it's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people in Nigeria, they, they trade a lot in crypto too. I don't know if you know that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of funny to see like how these guys actually, how how their landscape is changing. So if you want to do any tech startup tech startup in Africa, most folks automatically gravitate towards Nigeria. And people think of it 
uh, yeah, of course, to think of a Nigerian prince, but I'm just, you know, all jokes and all. But but the thing is that that country has so much potential um, that not a lot of people are actually focusing on them. So, yeah, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Um, so, obviously, Branzio has done very well over the years um, that you've built it up and you've done all your stuff and, and launched in other countries. But you have also got other e-commerce websites, am I right? Yeah, I mean, along the way, we've been we've been lucky enough to actually go and acquire e-commerce websites. We've been able to acquire content websites from SEOs, uh, which have been built around the you know the whole thing of forums, forum marketing, for example. So, example, the one of the websites we, we really want to buy, and hopefully we can buy in the coming years, is a as a company called What You Seek, which is a Canadian company, and it's it's a it's a it's a forum for for watch aficionados. Mm-hmm. So you know. Where people just go. I mean, it's very old school, but people, you know, uh, the actually hardcore watch uh, collectors, they actually are on there. Or you know, uh, say for South Africa, when you're ranking, say one for like watch reviews, or you know, you have some or somebody who's actually like reviewing watches for you 24/7. So you get into a partnership with them, 50/50. You say, look, I'll buy 50% of your site, but the only offer you want to promote is your own, and that's pretty much it. I mean, you can have two, three. The other guys don't really care. I mean, they're going to pay us money. Our competitors are. That's fine. I mean, it's money in the pocket either way. But of course, you want to give yourself like an esteemed uh the real estate on the website yeah no it makes sense now all, all out of all the other websites you do have are they all watch related are you fully focused on that niche or do you have your fingers in other areas yeah. as well well we do we do have we have we have a space in the digital download we have a spaces on uh in SaaS products uh where you know we, we we've got an app that we that we use on shopify to accelerate uh digital download spaces or things that we've come up with, we have we have an app that on Shopify that actually helps um, accelerate your product sourcing in China, where we we work with a few companies for that. So we have these small small things, but I mean the watch the watch the watch company is a bread and butter. So we've tried to we've tried to build stuff around that as as much as possible because that's where we want to be because that's a bread and butter of the business. The other the other the other sites they come and go, and the, and what I'm saying in, when when I say they come and go is basically we'll we'll build them, we'll scale them. We make them super profitable, and then we sell them for a profit, and then we just get the next one in. So that's how the the whole system works. Yeah, no, I I do that as well. I've got my bread and butter, and I yeah. do just buying and selling stuff, taking it up to a certain level, flip it on for a profit, um, just to keep myself busy and um, <laughs> the game as well. You know, I like to, I don't like to focus just on one niche, um, but obviously, um, over the years, you've spent a lot of time and money on self-development obviously you said you you flew out to hong kong to meet those guys at the the kind of watch fair type thing um you know again e-commerce people think you can just sit in your mum's basement um and and do all of this stuff they don't take the time to go to a shanghai seo or the watch fair and all of that kind of stuff how important was that whole networking to to the success of your business I think it's extremely important. I mean, the, you got to you got to think about it this way, right, Craig? There's uh, traveling preaches you a lot of a lot about people and a lot about life. Uh, but but you know, it's like you're going to ground zero. So, for example, I could be sitting I could be sitting in my mom's basement. And I could be thinking about coming up with the next you know the next Apple idea. But if I don't understand how tra- computer chips work, how transistors work, how how exactly I'm going, you know, how the where the hardcover comes from, and of course everybody says let's just go to China. The problem with China is also your QA. A lot of people, you know, what sort of quality assurance are you getting? Because people will say you asked me to do this, and this is the spec you wanted. I made that mistake, which is like I didn't give 
in my first run, I didn't give people the right watch dial dimensions, how thick it has to be. So it came out very light. Then what I found out was you have to make your watches a little extra because you know people usually think that if a watch is heavier, it 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 costs a lot more. That's human psychology that we you know we would have never known. So these are the things you find out on the ground. And yeah. a good example of Chiang Mai here is like you know meeting folks like yourself, meeting meeting James, meeting Matt, meeting all these other you know legends of the industry. And you know you you get into this chat, you just put people aside and you say, hey man, can I just have a chat with you? This is what I'm doing and what do you think? How, how do you think I can improve? And, you know, from the experiences, people would be, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an open enterprise and people will share freely. And the other thing I think what people sometimes get caught up in is like they think the idea is the most unique idea in the world. Somebody's going to steal it. Listen, man, I'm going to I'm going to break a bubble for you. here. Whatever you're thinking, you know, people have done it 10 times before, 100 times before, a million times before, you know. So please don't think like that. I mean, you just be open to share with people and. You know, if people have knowledge about it at these, especially these conferences, people people are there to help you out. They're not here to steal a niche. Yeah, I think most successful people are too busy to be worrying about. Oh, let's go and do Ronnie's watch niche. <laughs> no, I mean you have to have an abundance mindset. You have to let go at some point in time, and you have to, you know, there's there's the scarcity mindset and there's the abundant mindset. It depends on you which way you look at it. The people with the scarcity mindset, you're gonna hit the ceiling pretty quickly, thinking that people are gonna steal from you. That's yeah. pretty much my my two cents on the situation. Um, so, and, and before we do let you go, um, obviously along the way you mentioned that you've got consultants in to, to help you with middle management and stuff like that. Again, if someone's struggling with an e-commerce website and they're struggling to get themselves out of the business to, to implement a middle management and, you know, to manage the team, where did you go about finding that consultant? What would you call that service? Like, that's not going to be an SEO consultant or a generic business consultant. Wait, wait, did you, what, what was going through your head? And then, you know, what did you search for when you were looking for that person? Yeah, I mean, so what I was looking for is something, is somebody called a fractional HR person. So a fraction, it's like a fractional CTO or a, or a fractional... A CEO, so person who will come, they have got so much experience that it'll actually work with you on a on a strictly need to know basis, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So that's so that's an interesting person. So the person that I found was he, it was basically like somebody who does fractional HR. So this person is in charge of hiring, firing, developing my team, developing a system around which a framework for which a whole business works around. So it's a fractional HR, uh, like a fractional HR. Yeah, and does and does that that fractional guy? give you the suggestion of the everything everything so he's basically saying right you need this software you need yeah. this you need that so he's coming with all of that stuff uh, uh, it. exactly automations uh, dictating the culture of the company your mission statement your mission statement uh developing the pillars of your company what your pillars should be built on so for example we have about we have uh, our mission values and the vision values and the pillars on which a whole company is built and everybody needs to gravitate towards these and even during COVID, you know before i used to fly to see people and everything else we would have uh, once a, we still have once a month general assembly gathering everybody has to be on there we have a pretty open discussion on everything uh you know i'm pretty open with my numbers we share with all the employees and everybody you know how they get the business how they get the bonuses and everything else so these are the things you know once you start uh, being pretty transparent with, with the whole situation and, you know, if your culture becomes like that, you know, that's how you're going to move forward. I think uh, hiding things about your performance or because you have to give bonuses is not the right way to go either. So, Yeah, no, I'm just curious because, again, as I say, I've been in your shoes before and I didn't know who to look for. You know, you look out there and you see some shitty business consultant who 
basically just comes to you and hammers you saying, yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, but they don't fucking tell you how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that sounds like the perfect guy um, and the perfect word, the, the fractional HR guy um, sounds like, you know, I think that's the big, big golden nugget there today is to to get someone like that because we don't know everything about, as business owners, we don't care and don't know anything about all of that. Crap. I'm learning, man. I'm learning. And the thing is, and the thing is also, it's like, that's why you surround yourself with people who are better than you, right? I mean, that's that's one thing we never pay attention to. It's like, you're a, uh, you know, you're a product of the company you keep. So that thing actually holds true in sense. If you're the smartest guy in the room, then there's something wrong with you. You don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't want that. Nah. Um, and was there ever, just finally, was there ever a point where you're just like, I'm not paying for this fractional guy that costs too much money or no. did you see no. that as just an no. investment? No. Um, when, always- when I started with the guy, it used to be $10,000 a month for three oh. months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But- it's not cheap, but worth every penny. I wouldn't be talking about this and telling you the story about it if it wasn't working for me. Yeah. No, it's a... Uh, I think you've got to invest in yourself, you know, not just yeah. in the fractional guy, but going to Chiang Mai, going to these other things, you know, in Hong Kong, um, you know, industry-specific stuff, I think it's uh, all of these things ha- are what makes the difference between success and failure. Um, you know, anyone could come up with a watch idea and put up a Shopify website. It's all those additional investments that have made you a massive, massive success, in my opinion. And uh, you. also you've got the, the hunger and desire to, to, to go out there and deal with SEO guys and uh, stuff like that. On on a final note, obviously you, yeah. you you know you've been a pay per click guy and you've been to your watch festivals and all that. How does the SEO community and that particular Chiang Mai event compare to the other events that you've been to, which I would assume are all <laughs> much the same? It's all beer and stuff like that. But Chiang Mai is a crazy place, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, my heart's always in Chiang Mai, man. That's where I met you. Can't go wrong. I mean, the, the hooligans of Chiang Mai are always going to be top of my list. That's where I go <laughs> to be myself. I don't yeah. need to be buttoned up. That's where I go to be myself. I'm with uh, friends. Yeah. But by the way, Ronnie, for anyone who's out there, Ronnie was the guy who's like, do you want a beer? Do you want a beer? Do you want a beer? While he's running about drinking water. So <laughs> you need to be careful with guys like this. He's plying you with beer to suck all the information out of you. <laughs> drinking water. The guy that was forced to beer down everyone's neck, yet uh, I, don't, I don't even know if I've seen you drinking a beer at all. And Shanghai, no. probably too drunk to remember. But uh, Nobody knows what I do, man. Most of my friends don't know what I do because I think it takes away it takes away the friendship then. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. I just always remember... Do you want a drink? Do you want a drink? I'm like, fuck off. (laughs) 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 A great time, but hopefully um, we can catch up again soon. Soon, man. If anyone, you know, is watching this or listening to this and they say, right, I love Ronnie. I want to get in touch with him. What's the best place um, to find or where's the best place to get a hold of your... Yeah, I mean, you can get a hold of me uh, on my LinkedIn. My name is Ronnie Teja. You know, so just look up Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, space Teja. You can find me on there. You can find me on Instagram, Ronnie S. Teja, at R-O-N-N-I-E-S, and my last name, Teja, T-E-J-A, or my email, Ronnie at Brandzia.com. And that will all be below um, the video. Um, so you'll be able to get the links below, guys. But, Ronnie, it has been an absolute pleasure 
having you on and finding out a bit about your story. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I hopefully will catch up with you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And 